In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. 911 emergency. Search goes on in San Francisco for the man known as the Zodiac Killer. In New York, the search continues for the 44 caliber killer. See if you can explain to me why I would want to be a Scientologist. Betches Media presents. Tell me we have a lead. Stone Cold, no. It was literally like the Hunger Games. Not another true crime podcast. What can I say? Tough titties. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Welcome back, everyone, to a very special episode of Not Another True Crime Podcast. I'm Sarah Levine, here as always with Danny Murphy. Hey, everybody. And Casey Balsham. Hi, guys. I'm wearing a hat. It is a very fun hat. And we're here with a very special guest. She is a New York Times bestselling author who is returning with her 20th thriller this summer. It's Karen Slaughter. Hello. Hello. Woo. One, two. That nine. is an insane number. That is like, yeah. wow. It is. And you're like, how? Because uh, she looks so young. How did that happen? <laughs> of course. I started when I was 12. I had such an interest in sex and violence. So I thought, you know, let's just put pen to paper and see what happens. Your teachers were like, Karen, this is algebra two. Why are you writing about murder? <laughs> <laughs> that is literally what happened. <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah, I, in algebra, well, two. Thanks for that credit, bud. Um, oh, I trust, yeah. yes. Women I in loved STEM. algebra yeah. so much. I said, you know what? I want to take it over this summer. Like, I don't want to, I'll take it, you know, twice. What? Just because I love it so much. Yeah, it's called summer school. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I'm lucky uh, with that I was, one. Yeah, I, uh, I was a, a frequent summer schooler. Um, honestly, when I graduated high school, my dad was like, look, I don't know what you're going to do, but you can't live at home. Uh, so that was a, a swift kick in the butt. I love that, that that you were like, I guess I better write novels. That's right. That's what I say, <laughs> kids. If you're going to drop out of college, write a book. I mean, I love it. I mean, technically, weren't we all supposed to do that in the quarantine? It wasn't uh, that the, the was advice to, yeah. that everyone was like, well, write that novel you were going to write. I'm like, oh, okay. Can um, I say, I'm like so proud of myself because I can eat an entire meal without getting off the couch or getting my shirt dirty. <laughs> okay, okay, now, now you're bragging. Now you're yeah. bragging. <laughs> three months. It took me three months, but I can do this, it. I used to wear, this shirt used to be white. It's just stained with rosé. I just truly, I haven't even, I have not mastered any of that. But that, so you were talking a little bit about growing up. Were you always interested in like thrillers and like kind of a more like scary, surreal crime stuff? Absolutely. So my stepmother's sister, so my step aunt, was the chief of detectives in the town next to ours. And so this is like, the 1980s and uh let's let's like put it in perspective so you know aids was on the scene reagan mm-hmm. policing not an easy job to begin with but especially for a woman i mean she, she as much crap as she put up with from criminals when yeah. she got back to the station the men were awful 
And she loved this job so much that she just kept doing it. And she put up with the crap from these guys, like leaving shit in her locker, literal feces in her locker and stuff like Jesus. that. And yeah, because, you know, hey, the, I guess um, that brotherhood doesn't extend to, to people who have vaginas. Um, so it never she, does. I'm, she, yeah, right. It's so shocking <laughs> that people were sexist. Um, so she, just seeing that, I was like, why do you do this? What would make you put up with this? And she just loved policing and she loved the puzzle. And she also like loved the power because if you think about the options for women, I mean, that's one problem with our education system, right? Is it's built on the premise that really smart, educated women don't have a choice, right? And mm -hmm. they're going to yeah. take a job for $30,000 a year instead of going mm -hmm. to DuPont. Well, that's not happening anymore. Thanks, feminism. Um, but yep. this was like the one job she could do where she had some autonomy and power and an equal pay. So yeah. that was like a really eye-opening thing for me to see that. And it made me interested in what she was doing. And she worked on like the Atlanta uh, child murders that, you know, because women work those, those cases before they realized it was a serial killer. And the men were like, Oh wait, let's take this away from the ladies. They don't know what <laughs> you don't get doing. to do that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, solved. So, you know, it was like, uh, it was really eye opening and it made me read Helter Skelter and, and uh, God bless her. Anne rule loved Anne rule. Everything she wrote, I read. And I love the focus on, not just the crime and the details of the criminality, but what it left behind. Because that was just as important to, the, to Anne Rule. And that was what, it's like, how do you get past that, right? How do you get up the next day and go to work and, yeah. you know, or whatever you do, how do you manage to get one foot back in front of the other? And that's, that's what my focus was on when I started writing. Yeah. And it's interesting that you brought up um, your step aunt being a woman in a male dominated field because Danny kind of brought this up earlier in our group chat. Um, but you know, you're kind of a, a female writer in like a space that there aren't, that there's predominantly male writers. So how do you kind of navigate that? Well, when I started out, it was uh, me and Kathy Rikes and Patsy Cornwell who were writing uh, these sorts of books, right? And they didn't know how to describe us. So they were like, oh, they write like men. And that <laughs> was supposed to be flattering. Because um, people were just shocked, you know? I mean, why, why would women write about crimes that predominantly affect women? We don't understand. <laughs> and I want, my, my, my goal was, okay, I love crime novels. I read crime novels all the time. And I was sick and tired of reading a book where a woman was sexually assaulted and the way she got back from that, you know, after she bought a motorcycle and dressed in leather and started chain smoking and drinking <laughs> scotch. Horrifying. Like the good guy had sex with her and suddenly she's like, mm. her hair is down and she's not smoking and she wants to have a baby. And, yeah. you know, it's like it's that. The whole like Rapunzel. Yeah. I know, because I feel like also in like, so like that conversation has unfortunately just recently started to happen when like you're in an action movie when you're like, why does Superwoman have to just like be like covered in like grease running while like all the other people are just like doing their regular jobs. So I kind of love <laughs> that you're able to like tackle like writing 
about women as a woman, about yeah. situations that mainly affect women too, these crimes. Yeah, you know, I, I, when I was in college, I worked on a crisis uh, helpline for women who had been sexually assaulted. And it was so important to me to do that. It was very hard. But the thing that always really made me upset was no woman called in and, and did not say the words, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't yeah. have been there. I shouldn't have talked to him. I shouldn't have been in the parking lot. I shouldn't have had that drink. I should. None of them said he should not have raped me. And I mean, that's just the burden of being a woman, isn't it? To just say, what did I do wrong? You know, if, yeah. if somebody, like if George Clooney hits on a woman, she's like, fuck off. He's not, what's wrong with me? What did I do? Right? Yeah. But if the opposite happened, the woman's like, I'm so fat and disgusting and I shouldn't leave the house. You know, so we blame ourselves when bad stuff happens. So I wanted to write about that experience because that felt like a more realistic experience than buying a motorcycle and wearing leather. <laughs> I don't know a single, uh, you know, obviously as a, as a person that's almost 40, we all know somebody that's gone through it. And I, and I don't know a single one of them that has even said the word motorcycle to me, you know, I think that <laughs> that's right on. Um, I want to ask you, so do you pull, so from your experience of like with your, with your step band and, and the crisis hotline, like, did you pull stuff like that from your stories? Like, did you use kind of the stuff that you would heard in real life or do you kind of just go or, or from actual true crime or do you kind of just go off the cuff and, and create your whole own like narrative with your stories? It's really a combination of yeah. those things. You know, I'm certainly thinking of my aunt when I write my character, Faith, because she's a single mom. I mean, I, honestly, Faith is the one I do the most research for because I don't have yeah. kids that I know of. And, <laughs> you know, it's like I have no point of reference other than a, a deep hatred of children. So <laughs> I, I read the mommy blogs um, and mm -hmm. you know, the, oh, those are my they favorite. Hate, they hate children too. It's like, <laughs> yeah, they totally do. And you read about it and you're like, holy crap. I get why these women are ready. Like snapped totally makes sense to oh, me. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, cause these kids are like terrorists. I mean, bin Laden could have got something off of them. Like the secret <laughs> deprivation, and the constant why, why, why? I mean, when I hear a kid go, mommy, mommy, I just think, ah, so uh, that's, that's a lot of research for Faith, and it explains a lot of her um, low-level anxious anger, I think. Um, but, you know, I, I want to write different types of women. I want, because there are different types. You, you know, I hate when uh, it's kind of like the, have you ever no noticed in like a Sorkin movie that they all talk the same way? Mm -hmm. It's yes. like there's oh, yeah. got to be yes. at least one stupid person in the bunch who doesn't like, <laughs> shotgun speak all this stuff and and like is totally on the 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 same level so i try to write people for different experiences and and when i try to write women that you're not supposed to like right um because i think it's important because bad things happen to bad people sometimes and i hate that idea of like this perfect beautiful woman and usually she's pregnant and white and from middle class background and something horrible happens to her so she's going to be on the cover of people magazine when like the hateful 
you know, hard partying woman or the woman who controls her own sexuality or the woman who's a minority or, you know, she's not going to be on the cover because we, we have this idea that we only want perfect victims and everybody else is just lying. Oh yeah. We've dealt, we've delved into the uh, missing white woman syndrome on the podcast before about, and, and, and you nailed it. It's exactly. It's like what we want to see in our true crime, which is, which is kind of crazy to be like, well, we only like when these people are, that's what like the media picks up, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And you know, part of that is because who controls me- media for the most part. Bunch of white I mean, men. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. And kind of going into your processes too. I mean, we talked a little bit about character development, but also because anyone who's not on the zoom right now behind Karen is just, books. <laughs> it's just <laughs> impeccable. But you, so you, because you've written both like books in a series and also standalone novels. Do you have a favorite between the two to write? And is the process at all different for delving into them at the beginning? I think every writer wants it to be working on the next book. Like as soon as I finish this one, I'm so excited about the next one. Well, I think everybody's that way. Um, but, you know, I really love storytelling. And, when you're writing a standalone versus writing a series, there are many different challenges. One is not easier than the other because, you know, in a standalone, I'm doing a lot of world building. Uh, I'm doing new characters. I've got to give you information about them and figure out how I'm going to convey these important details. But also the same thing comes up when I'm writing the series because I've got to figure out, okay, well, you know, I'm very conscious that a lot of people will read all the books in the series prior to reading the new book. And it's mm-hmm. got to work seamlessly. And I can't have a point where they're like, yeah, yeah, we've been told this a million times. You don't have to tell us again. Because <laughs> they will write that letter. Like, we get it. Will's dyslexic. Move on. Um, and so I, but I also have to find new things to say, you know, and like in The Silent Wife, one thing I really like about writing in the past and present through the lens of Sarah is, you know, in the past, she's very cool toward Jeffrey and she's, she's very um, strong in a way that she isn't with Will. Cause you know, Jeffrey gets mad at Sarah. She's going to say, you know, go fuck yourself. And, but Will gets mad at Sarah and she loses it. I mean, she goes to crazy town <laughs> trying to find him. And I love writing that facet of her personality that I've hinted at a little bit, but we haven't really seen it until now. I did want to ask about um, The Silent Wife since it's your newest book that just came out. Um, and it takes place sort of like with this inmate on death row and this other um, previous or this other crime. I wanted to know what your research process was like, like building this world. Well, I've been to prisons before, um, only once as an inmate. And, (laughs) you know, they're horrible places. And women's prisons are very different from men's prisons. Like, when I was in Australia, I went to the zoo in Melbourne and I heard a Tasmanian devil and the hair on the back of my neck went up. I had like this visceral cave woman reaction. Like I am going to shit my pants if I hear that thing again. <laughs> and wow. you know, it's that, so that like, that's what it feels like in a men's prison. Right. When you walk in the door, you feel that, 
everything in your body saying this is a very dangerous place. And, you know, within a women's prison, you sort of feel that danger, but it's not like I'm going to be eaten by a velociraptor at any minute. It's more like a psychological thing, you know, because women tend to recreate families and there's a dad and a mom and the kids, but any one of those bitches would cut you, right? But you just, you can't cross them. The the lines are very clear. But in men's prisons, it's like any moment it could step off and be very violent. So, you know, that was something I was really conscious of. And prison design, you know, as I was, as we were entering the lockdown in COVID, the first thing I thought about was what those cells are like and how men are on just piled on top of each other and trapped in those cells. And I mean, sure enough, the, the COVID has been awful in prisons and yeah. it's it and we're, it's having these knock-on effects you know where like the california wildfires normally they use prison inmates to fight these fires and they don't have them now because they're all sick with covid that's wild so wait do when you go are you interviewing people in prison like to kind of get into like the minds are you just kind of going so you can see it so you can set the stage for the novels or yeah it's the second thing because you know the, yeah when you are like a known person and I mean known like even a tiny little bit, um, then it it confers upon the inmate a certain status. Right. And I don't want to be doing that because it can be very negative or it can be very positive. Right. Yeah. Because it makes them different. And when someone has something that you don't have in prison, you want to get that thing. And so I've talked to inmates out of prison, you know, when they've been paroled, which right. we make it very difficult. You know, you know, everybody talks about how great America is and we're the nation of second chances. Not if you're a felon, you're pretty much right. screwed, right? We're going to do everything we can to keep punishing you. Uh, and so that, that's something that I, I wrote about with the first Will Trent book. You know, this guy gets out of prison after being there for most of his adult life. And he has no coping skills and he's very limited in the jobs he can do. You know, he, he can't really get on with his life in any meaningful way. And plus, you know, he's basically stopped aging. The minute you go into prison, you're sort of frozen in time because your yeah. social um, self does not evolve in a positive way. It, it almost makes you regress. That's, that's wild. I like, I can't even imagine, like we, we had, um, we had, uh, someone on that was talking about the process of how, yeah, how it is kind of, we set it up so that people really can't live their lives, even, even if they were innocent in prison and get out, like there's nothing that like erases that and says, oh, we made a mistake. Like now you can get jobs and do all that stuff. Like just a wild process. I had no idea that there was the in my inmates fighting the fires in California. Yeah, it's inmates do a lot of stuff. Uh, uh, You know, they make like three cents an hour. So where are you going to find that kind of workforce? Uh, And, you know, for a lot of them, they're just one of my favorite writers is Denise Mina because she writes about the typical criminal. I write about criminals that are very rare. I mean, let's be honest, serial killers, that sort of thing. Uh, Rapists, very common, on the other hand. Mm -hmm. But Denise writes about people who are you know, basically good, but they make stupid mistakes and then they get in trouble. So they make more stupid mistakes. So you got a lot of people in prison who are basically good people who've just screwed up, you know, and they've been caught 
and they're a minority. So they're more likely to be punished, for, overly punished and kept in for a really long time. And then once you're in the system, if you're prone to stupidity, you're going to keep doing stupid things, right? So you're going to get even more time. And it, it's just such a trap. But Denise writes really well about that. And it isn't an, an issue. It's like, why are we spending all this money as a society on punishing stupidity when we could just like find different ways to make these people maybe wake up to what they're doing and, and give them the opportunity to go on and keep jobs, have families and pay taxes. I mean, it's such a small investment to help someone as opposed to imprison them. Exactly. Yeah. And it, help, it helps them grow and then it helps the society become what everyone thinks it is, is this like great place for everyone <laughs> to have opportunity instead of just being like, oh, there's only a very specific lane of people who get all the opportunity that has been sung about in songs and everything like that. And, yes. um, oh, you yeah. mean WAP. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> there's only, there's only a, a small amount of people that get WAP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mentioned I hope, it the yeah. other day with uh, some kidding. women who write beach books and they just look very puzzled. <laughs> <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches, and honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. Well, it's so interesting that you uh, brought up the topic with like Beach Books too, because I love all the uh, stuff you write about because it's like you're saying, it's like prison uh, reform. It's like people being wrongfully convicted, all these things that are really prevalent issues in our life that I feel like sometimes it's so easy for people to be like, oh, I'm turning off the news. I'm not watching it. But when it's in an ingestible novel or in like yeah. a, in an art form, it's able, it's easier for them to consume because they're captivated by like a book and then they can't look away and then you educate them with it. Yeah, you know, I and I like that kind of story and I, I don't like one that just preaches to me straight up, right? Mm -hmm. And I was really conscious when I wrote um, Triptych that I was taking on some social issues that maybe my readers weren't familiar with. Cause this was like back in, I don't know when Jesus was still on earth that I wrote this. And, Anna Nicole Smith. Yes. Uh. Yeah. Like I got your sandals, call me. Um, but uh, you know, I, it was, it was 
people weren't really thinking about that kind of stuff. I mean, one of the great things about podcasts and Netflix documentaries and things is people are like, wow, maybe justice is not blind. Mm -hmm. Wow. Maybe (laughs) people in prison aren't all guilty, you know? So I was thinking of that and I had a family member who was in uh, jail and that was really eye opening to see that. And I remember going to visit her and, and like the thing she was most worried about was she had not taken a shit in three days because the toilet was right out there in the middle of the floor. Uh, and she's like, you know, I can't do that. And I'm like, okay, we'll get you out of here so you can go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I just wanted to write about that experience and I was shocked because this friend of mine I went to school with, you know, she came from a, a, a pretty well-off family, so they were able to help her. She was there on a failure to af- appear because uh, she was holding drugs for this guy, which is like the most typical story of every woman in prison. The, the boyfriend or husband says, you take the gr- drugs, they'll give you a, a smaller sentence than if I have it, right? And what he's really saying is, yeah, screw you, lady. I'm not going to jail. And so, you know, the woman's like, okay, I'll hold this bag of heroin. Um, So any, but I mean, not with my friend, she was legit a heroin addict. But so, you know, she ends up in jail because she didn't show up for her court date. And then she's got like $6,000 worth of fines. And then, you know, we had a privatized probation system. So it was, they were incentivized to make her do drug tests. And so off this drug charge, to stay out of jail and then prison, it was like $10,000 and she couldn't get a job. And if she didn't pay all these fines, she'd be put in prison. So fortunately she was able to have a family to help her out. But you know, you just think, holy crap, you know, that is so much money for someone to have to come up with, especially if they're a heroin addict living out of their car, you know, I mean, as opposed to giving like, some kind of maintenance dose, some sort, you know, something to keep her solid so she can work and all that. No, let's just put her in jail. Let's just punish her. And to me, that was crazy. I always look at stuff from a financial point of view, you know, and one of the reasons why I really loved going to the Netherlands is they're like the first country who said, let's give people a basic income. And it wasn't because yeah. they love people or they're very altruistic. Dutch people are frankly very cheap. Um, <laughs> they were like, let's do the math because it is costing us billions of dollars to punish poor people who commit crimes. We can give them half of that and we'll save it because they'll have some kind of safety net. And, yeah. you know, it worked yes. out, you know, yeah. and they have fewer problems than we do by far but we have like this puritanical urge to punish people. It's one of the reasons why women have it so hard, you know, it was like not until 1992 or 94 or something that abusing your wife was frowned upon from a legal standpoint. Before it was like, Oh, that's a private matter between a husband (laughs) and his wife. He's beating to death. And then it just, it, it changed very slowly, but we still tend to blame women for stuff like that. Yeah. Or things like, um, you know, we also get it like, oh, your voice. And it's like, okay, I can't change it. You know, like it, it's just, it's all like the little things. Right. It's just like, well, I was, this is my voice. Sorry about like that. Like it's just sexism. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. bizarre what we're punished for, what we're criticized for. And it's like, okay, well, I guess, I wrote, how, how I, would you like me to talk? Yeah. <laughs> I wrote this. Um, so the 19th is like this great new site that tracks um, stories from a, a female point of view. 
And I, they, they sent me an email saying, what kind of stories do you want us to cover? And I'm like, I want a Pinocchio test like the Washington Post has, but with dicks for how many times, you know, gendered sexist stuff is used against Kamala Harris. Just track it oh. or any woman. Oh, boy. You know, the site that. would crash. The site would crash. <laughs> right? Yeah. So many dicks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's my memoir. I'm writing that now. Oh, yes. <laughs> I look the forward Danny to Murphy it. Memoir. And throw pillows. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you because we, oh, sorry, Danny, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to touch on uh, the exciting Netflix conversation. Yes. That we, yes, 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 yes. We know you're being adapted. Yes, being adapted. I am. I'm physically being adapted. I wish I was being cloned. <laughs> Here's my thing. Option. You know, because I know were... Tony Collette's in it, right? Yeah, I yeah. I would adapt. And... I would do anything to adapt for her. Yeah. So. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but you know, she was in Unbelievable on Netflix. That yep. was fantastic with yep. Merritt yep. Weaver. I just thought that was really, and it was based on just fascinating reportage done by mm-hmm. um i was it ProPublica who was involved in that um but y- so you people can google it we're not here to google for you uh, <laughs> but so thank you we were three days away from principal photography when the the shutdown happened and <sighs> so yeah they had to everybody had to go home and quarantine and they were in vancouver and vancouver doesn't look like uh georgia when it's in the winter time. <laughs> so now they're going to film it in Australia, which is great because Tony's from Australia. Um, but Tony's uh, with Tony's. Yes. God bless. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I know. It, she's such, she's so good at those um, Midwestern accents. It's kind of hard to think of her as uh, Australian. She, yeah. She's also a singer. She was in a band. She's way too what? cool for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, too. But, but they're going to f- hopefully start filming at the end of this year or into January. And um, maybe we'll see it streaming at the end of next year. We'll see. As a, like, cause now it, cause it is your baby being adapted. Do you yeah. have any, are you sort of just like, I trust them to do what they do. Are you worried with things? Like how does it feel on? to like, are you hands on or are you like, I trust them. I just can't even see it until it comes out. Well, um, so I'm a producer, but I'm one of many, which means they're like, oh, yes, we value your opinion. And I give it and they're like, no. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's really strange because I've always heard nightmares about this process. And maybe Netflix different is because they're just really helpful. They want the story to be good. And I've seen some of the network notes. I'm like, wow, that is really spot on. You really know what you're doing, which is not something you often say about network people. Um, And the writer, the head writer, Charlotte Stout is amazing. She worked on House of Cards and Homeland. um, And Bruna Papandrea uh, with Made Up Stories is the, the real producer. And she's like from Big Little Lies. She helped Reese Witherspoon start her company. So, I mean, it's like really solid women who know what they're doing. And some men, I'm going to say it. (laughs) Uh, Pieces of Her is my book. It's on the shelf. It's done. It's got my name on it. And I've read the scripts and they've changed things, but I agree with the changes. You know, a, a lot of pieces of her is Andy sitting in a car crying. That is not riveting television, you know? So they've got to make changes and I I like what they did. And of course it's Tony Collette. So it's more of her story than Andy's story, which, you know, I'm okay with too. Cause I just think, you know, it's, it's more than a, a, an adaptation. It's more like a translation 
you know, so they're going to make it their touchstones. And I'm, I'm cool with that. If I wasn't, I wouldn't have let them option it. Cause I have, I've never had optioned um, the Grant County series until I met the right people. Cause I just wasn't going to let it go. Makes sense. Yeah. Like you said, it is your baby. What, what would you say if we have our listeners um, and they haven't read one of your novels yet, where would you say would be a good place to start? Or what's the one that you're like, read this one. This is my, what, or not necessarily your favorite, but what's like a good one to start with, with your works? Well, first, what the hell? Why haven't you read me? Um, <laughs> what are you first, doing? Are you what's so your busy? problem? Yeah, <laughs> making sourdough bread. Yeah, right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you know, well, there's a couple of answers to that question depending on how you look at it. Like, I think if you read Pretty Girls, um, you could read any of my work um, if you can like survive that because it's really full on kind of shocking stuff. Um, and, and I do tend to write unflinchingly about violence. So right. like, if you're triggered or this isn't your bag, don't, do not read me. There's mm. so many other authors you can read. I want you to enjoy my stuff. I don't want you to like wet yourself and not be able to sleep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> except for we you, appreciate Danny. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, me and Meg the Stallion, we got you. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's like, but also I love The Good Daughter because I think it's just a really sweet story, even though there's brutal murder and all that, you know, about um, sisters and a father who's a lot like my dad. Um, so, you know, I like that. But also I'm super, super into series. I love series books. I love going back to them year after year. And I think, you know, Triptych is a good one to start with. Um, even though my publicist would be, probably be yelling at me, hey, you need to like promote the book, current book. But I feel <laughs> confident if you read Triptych, you're going to love it enough to read into to the nine more books to get you to The Silent Wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I kind of wanted to end on like a, a true crime note. Um, is there one mystery or crime or something like that, that just, that you constantly think about, or that if you could have one unsolved crime solved, what would it be? Wow. Um, you know, it, th- that question makes me think of uh, Michelle McNamara. I mean, rest in peace. Oh, yes. I mean, what amazing work she did and to not have seen that come to fruition. Um, you know, I would just say a general thing that's really pissing me off right now is that we have just, come to accept that there's going to be a certain amount of violence against women and we're just not going to do anything about it. Right. Like, you know, the incel movement and like all these white supremacists, none of them are like white women. Yes. Let's elevate them. I mean, there's no movement that's really great for feminists, even the feminist movement, you know? So it's like, why don't we have, we have a war against drugs. Why don't we have a war against violence against women? Because we mm-hmm. waste so much time and money as a, a community because of crimes against women and because of like not supporting women. You know, if you yeah. look at the m- biggest financial expansion in American history, it's when women went into the workforce, right? And we're like, we're just expecting women to take this crap and not expect competent childcare or equal pay or 
hey, if you're pregnant, you know, we're going to give you time off because we're a civilized nation and we claim to care about children. Not me personally, but, you know, <laughs> we just, and we're 51% of the population. So oh, we're yeah. part of the problem. You know, I read this story in Box about how, you know, women got the vote, but what did we do with it? You know, we just been like happy to take these scraps and I'm tired of it. Right. You know, yeah, stop the violence against women. Stop domestic violence. Stop treating rape. Like a lot of cops still get to called out on rapes and they're like, are you sure you want to do this? It's going to be really hard. No one yeah. goes to the, the wife of a man who's been murdered and says, you know, we can catch the guy who murdered your husband, but it's going to be really difficult for you. Right. I mean, it's it's flabbergasting so yeah that's my thing that's my crime i want solved my and it's like a crime that has been around since the dawn of man is why do we as a society accept this level of violence against women why is that okay let's let's solve it I, mean, I think it's yeah i'm 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 with you i mean yeah. i think unfortunately it's because there'd be too many powerful men that would be affected by that yeah right. they would yeah would bring like, them all down yeah well, you yeah. know, you got to, if you, if I was part of the patriarchy, I'd be like, screw you. This is great. Uh, yeah. But you know, the patriarchy is kind of losing it. They're kind of going yeah. like they're losing their grip a little bit. I mean, I know they're still making white men who will turn into old white men, but you know, it's like, we, we got to do something because there are enough people out there who are tired of this shit and we just yep. got to get off our couches uh, and and speak up and and say we're not going to take it anymore. We're not going to deal with this crap uh, at this level. Yep. I mean, I'm with you. I mean, I would oh hell yeah, love that know, to I, be solved as well. Yes. I feel like it is one of those like it's almost like the Wizard of Oz. Like we all see behind the curtain now and see these people for who they are and what yep. they actually represent. And we're like, why do we deal with that? It's time right. for us to. It's time for us to do what we think is right and should be doing. Right. And I think it's like, it's like women need to stop doing that crap too. Cause women make it possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. Like I think it. we all I... got to work together. We, we're stronger together. Yeah. As Britney Spears says, we're stronger than yesterday. And that is all we, we are. Can, it's true. That is yeah. all we can go with. And also work bitch. <laughs> and also work bitch. Work yes. bitch. Yeah. <laughs> she did. She's had, she's had a lot of quotable shit. Um, I have to also say that I'm immediately going to um, Google Tasmanian devil uh, oh, on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I, I know, but now I'm, I've been peaked since you said that. So It's so frightening. Also, I saw a dingo. Looks a bit like a Labrador, but then it grits like, and you think, oh, God, it's going to kill me. <laughs> I, I only think of Seinfeld with that. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. But yeah, that's, yeah. if you don't know Seinfeld, Google that. But yeah. also what people can do is before... I mean, A, just buy your new book, but if you want to read the first chapter, it's on Betches, right, Sarah? Yeah, we have an excerpt of the first chapter on Betches.com of The Silent Wife, so you can actually go read it there first and then order the book. I like it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was so fun. Absolutely. And thank you guys for listening. Um, please follow us on Instagram at NATCpod and rate, review, subscribe. Do all that. And we'll see you next time. Betches.